0: Now, we connect with God in, in different ways. Sometimes, depending on our personality and our, our makeup, there are, there are different ways in which we connect with God. For some of us, we connect with God in His creation. Like, we just need a, a mountain drive, or maybe something active outdoors, a hike in the mountains to a, an alpine lake, catching a, a fish, fly fishing on a, a river somewhere. Maybe it's, maybe it's working with your hands. Maybe you are into to building, to woodwork, or maybe it's photography, something creative, something in the arts. But um, in, even in our, our hobbies, some of us, there are, there are ways in which we, we connect with God. For me personally, one of the ways that I connect with God is through music. Uh, oftentimes, through a song, especially that, that points me towards Jesus, that, that lifts up Jesus in a way that, that my own words are inadequate. Um, and, and in this time of pandemic, like this year, uh, one one group that's really been almost prophetic in my life is called Maverick City Music. Like their their music has just been like a, a balm for my for my soul. And um, right now we have seven people living in our house, which is you know it's it's a good good healthy healthy number. And I like to get up before everybody. And just have a moment of peace and quiet, especially with the, the kids being home now for for school and um, and oftentimes I will begin with a song. Oftentimes a Maverick City song. And I'll just listen to the song and I'll take a deep breath. Sometimes I'll I'll sing along. Sometimes uh, what I like one of the things I like about Maverick City is that they're long songs and they have these moments of just instrumental where I can worship God in, in my own words and and then I'll. Maybe move into to scripture, but there's one uh, of the the worship leaders who's part of Maverick City. His name is Chandler Moore, and I, just last week I heard one of his songs on his own album that was recently released, uh, and and the song is like it is not a a happy, bubbly song. It's in fact it's a it's a lament. It's a crying out to God from the, the depths of a soul, and you can feel it. even the, the chord progressions as he plays. Like it's it takes you to this place of like ah, and you feel it deeply. And the, the song, the title of it is "Where Are You," and it's speaking to God. Where are you, God? And here's just a few of the lyrics, and I'll have the link there to the song in the comments. I encourage you to go listen to it. Uh, not right now. Okay, wait, wait till we're finished. But the song says, "I'm discouraged." Who can save me from this pain? I am hurting. I have nothing left to give. My soul cries out, where are you now? In my hour of greatest need, you've gone missing. I'm screaming out a silent shout. I don't know where else to turn. Are you listening? I feel alone. I'm sitting in my tears. I think you get the gist of this song. It's this raw emotion and this vulnerability. And maybe you've thought that, that such words are not appropriate to bring to God. Like uh, maybe there was someone well-meaning in your life, another well-meaning Jesus follower who was like, you know, if you just had a bit more faith, you, you wouldn't feel like that. Or, or maybe as, as I was reading the, those words, you were thinking, ah, are, we, uh, are we allowed to, to say that to God? Welcome to week two of Advent, Advent, the the season of of waiting and longing, the season of hope despite a very real understanding of what's going on around us. It's a season of angst, the season of crying out, where are you now? One thing I would encourage you not to do is to, to search the phrase, everything that's happened in 2020. Like, and because I, I suggest you not do that, you probably will do a, do a search. Everything that's happened in 2020, and it's quite depressing. Like there are these lists of, and it's mostly like the, the bad things. Everything that's happened this year, and it goes down the list, and, and we know, you know what's happened this year. So I don't, I don't need to repeat that. Uh, the, the, cal- the, the wildfires this year that we've had burned like 650,000 acres. But do you remember back to the beginning of the year in Australia? when their fires burned over 40 million acres and they, they, they estimate that half a billion animals died? Or how about in Beirut, Lebanon, where there was an accidental explosion this year, killing over 150 and making 300,000 people homeless? Or the volcano that erupted in Indonesia, like there, there is a list, like don't, don't search that list. But listen, listen to the words of the prophet Amos. In Amos chapter 5, this is what it says. It says, Woe to you, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though as a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark, without a ray of brightness. The, the day of the Lord is described as this day of darkness. Like you you escape one calamity only to be taken out by something else. It's like the, those movies, The Final Destination. Also would not recommend if you're looking for something uplifting. Uh, if you've seen those movies, there's something that happens at the beginning where a group of people should have died, they escape death, and the rest of the movie is just death chasing after them. That's what I feel like Amos is describing. He fled from a lion only to meet a bear. He entered a house where you rested, like, oh, I made it to my house, safety. And then you're bitten by a snake. And we live in, we live in dark times. And I wonder if sometimes those on the outside of our faith I wonder if when they look at us, you know, our talk of hope, our talk of peace, our talk of, of joy, that they might be tempted. They might be tempted to accuse us of just being sentimental, just being optimistic. They might think we're, we're too weak-minded to face the facts. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's an accurate charge against us. Jesus in the weak, Leading up to his death, and Jesus knew what was coming. He was preparing his his disciples. He was teaching them just kind of those last things that he wanted them to know. And, and his disciples, they they came to, and Jesus was telling them about the kind of the end times, last things, and, and they were like, Jesus, tell us when are these things going to happen? And Jesus tells them this parable, the parable of the ten virgins. And and in this parable, the bridegroom has left, and these ten virgins they're waiting for the bridegroom to return, and. And these virgins, they represent the, the attendance of, of the bride. It was a great honor to be a bridesmaid. But the groom, the groom has gone away and is supposed to return, but there's a delay. He hasn't returned yet to the feast and their lamps are running low. The oil is almost out. And maybe, I don't, I don't know what they're thinking, but maybe there's been a mistake. Maybe he's not coming back and, and this deep darkness of night comes and still the groom is nowhere to be found. And, and when Jesus is telling this parable, he wants us to find ourselves in the parable. Like we're not just observers on the outside of this parable. Like we are the ones waiting for the return of the groom. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, there was, there was a cry, the groom has returned. And there's, they cry out, he's here, he's here. And some of them, some of the virgins were ready. Some, some were not ready. And so they quickly, they had to leave to go get more oil for the lamps. And when they came back, they were shut out from the banquet. They were shut out from the great wedding feast because they were not ready. And in this parable, we are in the dark. Like we are in the dark. We are waiting. And this is hardly the stuff of like weak-minded, just sentimentalism, optimism, because everything when we look around us, especially this year in 2020. It just seems like everything is chaos. Everything's random. Like and we have and we have no control. Right? We we thought we had control. We had an illusion of control, but really we we, don't, we are not we are not in control. And so the, the church we cannot survive on just nostalgia, sentiment, and if, and if we're telling the story of Jesus in just a nostalgic way as if it was a nice fairy tale for children, that's not going to work anymore. I mean, I don't know if it's ever worked, but it's definitely, definitely not going to work in 2020. And if, if we try to do that, we'll wake up at midnight and discover that our lamps are going out. Maybe that our lamps have gone out, and, and sentiment and optimism, they are weak fuels for the fire. We need that premium oil for our lamps if we are to keep the light of the church burning while the groom is away. And, and so we are not denying the facts. That's what optimism does. No, no. We, we see the facts and we still have hope. Because our, our hope is, is something outside of us. We're not basing that hope on ourselves. We're not basing that hope in 2020 coming around the corner. Our hope is in something solid. It is in something concrete. Uh, imagine going to prison for a crime you didn't commit. Imagine going to prison for a crime you didn't commit. I mean, that has to be one of the hardest things to ever walk through in life. Like, even if someone goes to, to prison for a crime they didn't commit, like that... That is hard, like just to to lose your your freedoms and um, you know in, in our country compared to other countries we have the, the highest rate of imprisonment of any developed nation in the world. Like that's a, that's a whole other topic. But but imagine going to to prison for a crime that you took no pardon, like you weren't even there at the scene. Imagine that there was no forensic evidence to tie you to the crime, but you still went to prison for, for life. Imagine that there were fingerprints found at the scene of the crime, but the fingerprints didn't belong to you. Imagine that the victim looked at a photo lineup and the victim didn't say, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's the one. But what the victim said was, you know, I, th- I think he, he looked like that. He, look, he looked a little bit like that. And then over the course of several more times, the investigators show you that same picture over and over until the, the victim says, yeah, yeah, I think that's him. Uh, imagine being a poor black man with no resources, but you're young, you've got your whole lifetime, your whole life in front of you, you're gonna make something of yourself, you've got dreams, and now it's taken from you. Imagine being that man and, and being accused and found guilty of a crime you didn't commit in a system in which you have no power. which you have no power to change. For 36 years, Archie Williams lived that nightmare. For 36 years. He was convicted in 1983 for attempted rape and murder, and he was sentenced to life without parole. With the help of the innocent project who fought on his behalf for two decades, he was finally able, they're finally able to convince a judge to just like, hey, just check the fingerprints one more time. The fingerprints, his fingerprints were checked just last year. And within 24 hours, within 24 hours, he was exonerated. So he was 22 when he went to prison. He was 58 when he got out. Can you imagine that? In that time, his, his mom passed away, his dad passed away. The, the strength of his youth was lost, the, the opportunity to have a family likely gone, taken, stripped from him, not because he did anything wrong. In 1995, so he's 12 years in, he, wrote, he writes a letter to the Innocent Project. The Innocent Project, they take on cases where the convicted are innocent, and they try to get new trials, and they try to get ev- new evidence uh, into, the, into the system, and they try to make things, things right. But in the letter, Archie writes, as the years go by, this is 12 years in, as the years go by, by, I sit here year after year, it's like no one cares. He goes on to say, by the grace of God, I'm still holding on to hope. By the grace of God, I'm still holding on to hope and praying in faith that someone will answer my letter and help me. Archie was released last year, and he's been interviewed several times. And in those interviews, he, he speaks of his, his faith, his hope, how he was able to maintain his sanity. I mean, 30, 36 years, innocent, but convicted. He said, freedom is of the mind. I went to prison, but I never let my mind go to prison. I couldn't believe it was really happening. I knew I was innocent. I didn't commit a crime, but being a poor black kid, I didn't have the economic ability to fight the state of Louisiana. Another time he he said, when you're faced with dark times, what I would do is I would pray and sing. This is how I got peace. Archie said that he he remained hopeful because of his Christian faith. and, And then in one interview, he says that he has no grudge against the lady, against the victim who identified him as the, the perpetrator. And this is, this is what he says. And it, it's astounding. God does not let me hold grudges against anyone. And, and then he goes on to say that he feels like Joseph from the Old Testament, whose brother sold him into slavery and that God was preparing Joseph for, for something else. I can tell you, our hope is not mere optimism. If it was just optimism and, and sentimental feelings, and that would have lasted about 20 seconds for Archie. But he had something deeper that he held on to for those 36 years, something that, that grounded him, that gave him hope, even despite the injustice that he was facing. And his, I mean, think about his ability to, to trust God, even in the darkest night, a night that seemed to go on and on. And on and on and and when I think about his his ability to trust God, like that just that like it does something for for my own faith, like I find myself being like, oh, if Archie can do that then 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 i can I can keep the faith, and I don't know what what you're facing, what you're going through in in this moment, like we are in this twenty twenty together, but it's affected. Us in different levels and emotionally and um, financially, we're all at different places. And I don't know what you're you're going through this week, but I just want to encourage you that that we need each other in this journey through darkness. As we're waiting for the groom to return, like we we don't have to. You don't have to go through this alone. Like whatever it is you're going through, we can encourage one another. And that's why, you know, we we have micro churches going on. And I want to encourage you if you haven't. Been in a uh, micro church. And I know that it's not ideal because it's just virtual at the moment, but we need, we need the encouragement of our brothers and sisters in the faith. I started talking about Chandler Moore and the song that, that he wrote and, and just his, his, his plea and his cry to God. On that same album is another new song. And this, this one's a little different. So the, the first song was God, Where Are You? And this song is called, He Understands. He Understands. He said, there's nothing new. These are lyrics from the song. There's nothing new under the sun. Questions we have, have been said and done, fully God and man. He felt it all. Highest king, but still he's low enough to meet us where we are. He understands. He was alone, left by his friends. Foxes have holes. He had nowhere to go. No place to lay his head. So if anyone knows, he understands. Now, Christianity, it might be just a crutch for the weak-minded. For those of us who need something to, uh, to hold on to when, it, when it's dark, something just to make us feel better. But our faith, our faith is different. Why? Why why is our faith more than just sentimental optimism? It's because Jesus was not sheltered from the storm. Jesus was not sheltered from the storm. He did not sit on a throne high above the pandemics and the unjust rulers of his day. The only begotten son of God came down himself and the storm broke over his head and swept him away as he cried, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? When we feel like God is not there, if you are in that time, uh, time of just God, where are you? God, where are you? We, We can bring our laments to God. We can bring our, our cries to God. We can endure the night as we look forward to Christ's return because as, as Chandler says, he felt it all. Highest king, but still he's low enough to meet us where we are. And There is this, there is this unique paradox in our Christian faith, in our, our narrative that God himself submitted himself to the very worst that human sin could do. Jesus in the flesh came and he took the punishment that we deserved as our representative. He came under his own judgment. And on the third day, he was raised victorious over evil and death. And, and this really happened. It's not made up. And so it gives us something to hold on to. It gives us when we don't have anything else. We've lost hope. When we're facing injustice, we hold on to Jesus because he knows, he, under, he understands, we have a God who understands what we've been through, what we are going through. So we keep our lamps burning through the night as we expect our Savior to return. And we hope and we believe that one day God is going to come back and everything that's random and everything that's chaos now finally makes sense to us, even if we don't understand it now in that same hand of Jesus who healed the sick, who opened the eyes of the blinds, that same hand that was on the cross 2,000 years ago, that same hand is going to come through all things. And in the midst of the darkest nights, we have this hope. And it's why when we're together, we declare it each week that Christ Has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's pray. Jesus, we look for your return. We long for your return. And I pray that you would find us ready for your return. And I pray that. For anyone today who's just facing a dark night, and it's not just one night, but it seems like it's been ongoing, I pray that you would give them the strength to turn to you, to turn their laments to you, to to cry out to you and say, God, where are you? And I pray, Jesus, today that you would meet them, that you would meet us at our point of need. And we hold on, we hold on, to the truth that you died for us, that you rose again, and that you are coming again. And may that give us hope, a deep hope, Jesus. I pray these things in your name. Amen.